0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Eric Scopel is with me as always on this Friday afternoon, and uh, hopefully, you guys are staying safe and we'll have a fun and eventful. Weekend, as best as you guys can, and for Eric and I, we're we're watching the draft. We watched it Thursday, we're going to watch it Friday night, we're also going to watch it all day Saturday, uh, kind of taking in one of those few rare sporting events uh, that's live on TV right now, and even though they're not playing games, there's still plenty of stuff to discuss, and Eric and I are going to break down Justin Herbert's selection number six overall in the draft, where that means... For him, what that means for Oregon, what that means for the Chargers, we'll also look ahead towards the rest of the draft. Some historical stuff could play out over the weekend and then we'll take a bigger scope down a few years for Oregon football. But before we dive into the show, I want to remind everyone out there right now, we're offering a 50% off annual VIP membership promotion. That means for, if you want to pay upfront for a year's membership, you get uh, 50% off and, and your billed $53.70 up front. Uh, that's a huge savings. Or if you don't want to go annual and you want to pay month to month, we also have a great deal there too. Your first month is a dollar, just one dollar, and then $9.95 thereafter. Both options give you inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the 24-7 sports network, uh, and you get access to people like Eric, Kevin Wade, myself, uh, and a host of other national and regional uh, recruiting and team insiders across the 24-7 Sports Network. All right, Eric. Thursday night was the first round of the NFL draft. We were all expecting Justin Herbert to go in, into the top ten. And really, honestly, the draft didn't really – nothing really changed with the draft until we got to uh, the, the fourth – or fifth pick of the draft, and, and really it was the fifth when Miami selected, because uh, they they could have gone two different directions. They were looking for a quarterback. They could have gone with Tua. They could have gone with Herbert. And I felt like the fifth pick was what dictated the rest of the draft. Uh, obviously, Tua goes five to Miami, and then Justin Herbert goes six to uh, the L.A. Chargers. And I said before the Tua pick, that I, I felt like the Chargers were the better fit for Herbert. Uh, obviously it would have had a historical context for Oregon if Herbert won five, but I think, you know, dropping one spot better sets him up long term. Uh, I'll give you my reasons why, but I just want to know what are your, your initial thoughts when we saw Herbert go six overall?
2: Much better situation than Miami. I don't think there's any question about it. Um you know, obviously Miami picked one pick earlier than the Chargers, but the Chargers organization, at least over the last decade or more than that, honestly, they, they, this is a fairly respectable franchise. And I, the Dolphins, I don't think you can say that about really. They've had, you know, Miami's had some good seasons, but not a lot recently. And they were pretty awful last year. In fact, it looked like they were trying to lose games at times. Uh, whereas the Chargers uh, have just dealt with some terrible injury luck, uh, an aging quarterback. Um, But have still been really competitive in games, even the ones they lose. So I I don't think that the Chargers are. You look at the pick near the top of the draft; they're not a team that fundamentally like stinks. They're not like a really bad football team. This is a team that like is typically at least competing for a wild card spot. And the AFC West is really competitive now, with Kansas City being what they are. But I I still think that's a a team that can compete for playoff spots probably like immediately. And I'm not sure if Justin Herbert starts immediately. And in fact, I kind of hope he doesn't. I think Tyrod Taylor. Um, is is competent enough to to kind of hold that job for a while and, and honestly like if I'm a if I'm Justin Herbert I'm probably not too disappointed if it's not my job to have Foley until either the end of his rookie season or maybe the start of his second season because I think just a year of of working with the type of talent he's going to have in Los Angeles you look at the wide receivers Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are both both had over a 1,000 yards receiving last year. Allen's been a really, really good player when he's healthy, and Williams is still relatively young. That's two really exciting wide receivers to work with. So if Herbert can get, kind of build those connections and relationships over the next year, two years, um, I think it could set him up to have a ton of success when, when it is his time to shine. I'm just hopeful, and this is something I've been saying even before we knew where he was going, just that he's not expected to immediately come in and take over. I think we've seen now with, with Oregon quarterbacks in the past, um, where that's been kind of the case with all of them and they haven't panned out very well. And I just think uh, an extra year, maybe three quarters of a season to kind of get your feet wet and get ready, um, before you're thrust into the starting job is, is something that would do Herbert really well. But I really like the fit. I think it, I think it sets him up really, really nicely to, to potentially have a, a long career as a starting quarterback in this league.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And I think the, the biggest, difference between Herbert's situation there's two big differences between Herbert's situation and then the three most famous quarterbacks that have come before him in the first round Marcus Mariota in the 2015 NFL draft and then Joey Harrington in the 2002 and then Akili Smith in the 1999 NFL draft is that all three of those guys were thrust into franchises in turmoil and franchises that needed him, uh, needed them either whether they're ready or not to, to, to play right away and be the guy, be the face of the franchise and make all the plays and carry the team and whatnot. And you could argue if any of those guys were ready for that responsibility. That's, that's tough to ask for anybody. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, Herbert walks into a situation where – he has, a, a, I don't know if Tyrod Taylor is viewed as you know a really good quarterback, but he's respectable and he's right. been in the league for a while. He's been a starter for more than two seasons at a different stop, and is a consummate pro and is going to be a guy that can really help Herbert, you know, for, have him lean on him to early on to, and learn, the, you know, the, the steps that it takes. And then on top of that, more importantly, I think maybe, I've kind of flip-flopped on on my feelings of what's better, the the fact that Tyrod Taylor is there or the fact that the Chargers have some skill players that are entering their prime years and are really good. I mean, Keenan Allen was third in the NFL in receptions this past season. Austin Eckler was 10th in receptions as a running back. Uh, and then Hunter Henry is a very good tight end. He was in the top ten for receptions as a tight end in the NFL this past season. Mike Williams had just over a thousand yards receiving last year as well. So they have four guys at the skill positions that are young. They're they're all under the age of twenty seven, and they are very productive players. I mean, I don't think you could say that that any of the three quarterbacks that I named, Akili Smith, Joe Harrington, or Marcus Mariota walked into a situation that has as much talent as Herbert will have around him that won't require him to, to make all the plays.
2: No, I'm, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with it, with you on that. Um, I, I just, and I kind of pointed to that earlier, just like this is a, actually a really good spot for him because of the talent around him. And you think, you know, I, I think Keenan Allen, I said this in the past, even before he was paired up with, with Herbert, he reminds me a lot of Dylan Mitchell, a receiver that was extremely productive um, with, with Herbert at Oregon uh, in the 2018 season. And of course, schematically, I'm sure what the Chargers are doing is going to be a little different, but um, it, it, a similar type of player. And then Mike Williams is is maybe almost a Jawan Johnson-type body, 6'4", 220, big, athletic. And you could say Hunter Henry, maybe that's a Jacob Breeland, 6'5", 250. These guys are all about the same size, similar type of players, obviously, um, at these NFL caliber athletes are, are are superior to what he's had at Oregon. And I think that's one thing that will benefit him. And I think that's one thing that you look at if you're just comparing the, the top three quarterbacks taken off the board with Joe Burrow at, and Tua and, and Justin Herbert. And we've said this in the podcast before. Those two SEC quarterbacks had a lot more NFL talent at wide receiver. I mean, you look at the first round and I think... What two receivers from Alabama were taken, and one from LSU came off the board, and that just kind of represents the talent those guys had. And Herbert, not that he was playing with bad ride receivers, but he never he's never had a, a collection of talent like he's going to walk into in Los Angeles with this group. Right as you know, right away it's going to be the best group of you know skill talent he's ever dealt with. And you're right, that is definitely a differentiation between these three previous quarterbacks that have been top you know top early early draft picks. And obviously, those previous ones were top five. Herbert not quite top five; he goes sixth overall, but um, Achilles Smith did not walk into a very good situation with Cincinnati. It didn't go well. You know, in Detroit, Joey Harrington never never had much of an offensive line to protect him. He was on his rear end more than he was doing anything else. And Marcus Mariota's dealt with a ton of different head coaching situations, and he's never had the wide receiver talent that we're talking about with the Los Angeles Chargers right now. So I agree with you. I think whether it's immediately or a year or two down the road, as long as the Chargers retain a, a large collection of these players. There is the upside, um, for this to be a really, really successful offense, uh, with Herbert potentially being the one leading it sooner than later.
1: Now, real quick before we move on to the next segment here, the Chargers are picking sixth for a reason. Uh, yeah. you know, they, they could use a lot of help up front along the offensive line. That's going to be one of, you know, the areas that they will want to address this offseason, whether it's if they can be a free agency or the rest of the draft or next year, and that's kind of why I think you know there's no rush to throw Herbert out there just because you know they they do have some they do have some issues that they need to, to solve offensively and defensively as well. But I think Herbert's stepping into a good situation. It's pretty cool that he'll be playing on the West Coast, and uh, extra special that he'll be going into a, a franchise that one of their best players ever. Uh, is Dan Fouts, a guy that is tied to Justin Herbert, uh, at least the Herbert family, you know, F- the Fouts family knows the Herbert family, um, because of her, Justin's grandpa, uh, playing with, with Dan at Oregon. Um, and this kind of segues into our next segment here is that Oregon's kind of turning into a, a school that can make a legitimate case for being quarterback you. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think you should, you should argue of NFL success. It's all about for the, for, for college football, it's all about creating and developing your players and getting them in, you know, to be the best NFL prospect as, as, as they can be. And then it's up to the, the player and it's up to the team that, that drafts them to continue that development and to continue making that player uh, a good player. And Oregon, If if we just focus on the fact of the quarterbacks that Oregon produces uh, and sends off to the NFL, they're making a strong case for quarterback you.
2: Yeah, it's unprecedented, actually, uh, what what they're doing. uh, or or It's only shared by a few schools. And, And if Herbert had gone one pick sooner and if he'd gone fifth overall, Oregon would become the school with the most top five quarterbacks drafted in the common NFL draft era, which started in 1967. Um, that would have brought them to four top five picks um, in the NFL draft. No other school has had more than three. Um, Obviously, we mentioned those three players earlier, but Achilles Smith, Joey Harrington, Marcus Mariota all went top five. Herbert would have been the fourth. They just miss out on that, but because Herbert goes in the first round, they make a little bit of different history and tie California and USC for the most first-round selections ever. Kind of cool that three Pac-12 schools sit at the top there, especially with um, clearly the way the Pac-12 is seen on a national level. but maybe the conference as a whole has done a really, really good job with quarterbacks because you look at the top five list below, and Stanford is also on that list with Oregon right now with three, and Washington State, it's kind of surprising, also has had three top five quarterback selections as well. So pac has done very, very well, but Oregon in particular, you're right, you look at first round selections, I've already mentioned Akili, Joey, and Marcus Mariota, Chris Miller is the fourth first round selection prior to Herbert's pick yesterday. Um, those are the five first-round quarterbacks Oregon has had. And if you were to exclude the modern draft era part of that, George Shaw is Oregon's only number one overall draft pick, and he was a quarterback taken um, back in, I think, 1955. So uh, Oregon's had a lot of quarterbacks taken highly. And I and I agree with you, Matt, in terms of like, yeah, if you, you can take apart this argument that Oregon has QBU pretty quickly if you want to look at draft success of these players in the NFL. Chris Miller had a long NFL career, but it wasn't. One that had you know all-pro, Pro Bowl kind of recognition. Akili Smith and Joey Harrington did not pan out very well, and Marcus Mariota has not panned out very well to this point. He's, his career is still young. One point we should mention here is part of the QBU is we could see a scenario where two times a season, Marcus Mariota with the Oakland Raiders and Justin Herbert with the Los Angeles Chargers could be facing each other as starting quarterbacks in the same division. So that could be kind of cool, but um. obviously Oregon has not had a lot of NFL success with these first round quarterbacks. There are other quarterbacks that have played long in the NFL, but you're right in terms of like, what is there aren't many schools that have done what Oregon can can say they've done now in terms of producing first round quarterback talent. And that has to be something um, that is utilized on the recruiting trail. And in fact, I think one of the comments on my story, because I, I did post all the first round quarterbacks taken um, and I'll give credit to, I believe it was super Mario who said Oregon has now had a quarterback on an NFL roster um, for every NFL season since 1955 when Shaw was taken. So um, that right there, and that's an, another thing where that differentiates them from any other uh, college in terms of that fact. So a lot of things in Oregon's favor in terms of how they produce quarterbacks and, and first-round quarterbacks at an NFL level. Obviously, we'd love to see Justin Herbert and Marcus Martin, who are still active in the NFL, uh, take their careers to another level and have a little bit more success in past quarterbacks and professional level. But in terms of what they've done as collegians, Um, Oregon's kind of unprecedented in what they've been able to accomplish.
1: I was going to ask you, what, do you feel like this is something that Oregon could sell on the recruiting trail? Like, is it a viable pitch that will gain traction?
2: I think it has to be a viable pitch. I mean, and of course, you can, if you want a negative recruit, you can point to the things I just said where these guys didn't turn out very well. And you can point to the fact that, you know, three of these quarterbacks were drafted before 2003. So it's, you know, some, some time has gone by there, but, Marcus Mariota, Justin Herbert, both going early on in drafts over the last five years. Uh, I don't have all the numbers in front of me here, but I don't think there are many schools that have had as many top quarterback draft picks during that time. Um, And I think you can absolutely use that on the trail of like, hey, look what we've been able to do with producing quarterback town. And of course, the coaches who have produced that are a lot of these coaches are different coaches you know Marcus Mariota's quarterbacks coaches they're no longer a part of the program and obviously the same can be said for the other ones that that were taken the first round besides Justin Herbert and even if you're talking to Justin Herbert you can say well Marcus Aurora was kind of his co- quarterback coach too so but at the same time yeah I think you I think you can use this I mean why can't you use this and say look we've done a heck of a job you know developing quarterbacks in our history why don't you come in and make some more history uh, and become quarterback. That is the the sixth first round pick, and you know the the fourth top five quarterback taken from Oregon. And that can I think that can
1: absolutely be a sales pitch. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audibles podcast.
0: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes.
1: Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt brain Eric Scopel is with me as always. And Eric, now, we're recording this podcast Friday morning, so the second and third rounds will be played later this evening. Or, I guess, played out, not played. I love, um, I
2: love the idea of playing the second and third rounds. <laughs> we're missing sports so bad. <laughs>
1: uh, we'll, we'll We'll see the second and third rounds play out and find out where guys go. I think... Troy Dye is probably the most realistic player to go today. Maybe uh, a Calvin Throckmorton you know, sees his his name get called late in the third round as well, but I I don't see a lot of mocks that – or Shane Lemieux. um, I don't see a lot of mocks, though, that that are are projecting a lot of these other ducks to go on Friday. I think Saturday is going to be the big day for Oregon. There's a lot to monitor because – Like I said, Dye could go on Friday, more than likely will go at some point, Uh, either the late second, third, or or early fourth, which will begin. The fourth round begins Saturday morning, and the rest of the the seven rounds also will conclude that day. But I think there's still a lot to watch for, including some historical possibilities for Oregon football as a whole.
2: I was looking at this this morning because Oregon still has – they had seven players invited to the combine. Obviously, Herbert's gone off the board. So there are six players that were combine invitees. And players that are invited to the combine are typically players that you, you think have a pretty decent chance of being selected. And Oregon has six players still on the board. If all six of those players get selected, um, you know, between round six or two and seven, that would be seven overall NFL draft choices, which would be the largest in Oregon football history. They've had three different occurrences since the modern era in 1967, where they've had six, in 1972, 2002, and 2009, and they've had four other occurrences where they've had five. So I think there's a pretty good chance you're going to see Oregon uh, at least in a tie for second this season, at least get five players selected. And if, that, if that's the case, you can add them to that list of, of, of years where they've had five players selected. But if they get six, they would tie for the most. And if they get all seven, I think that's probably a stretch, if we're being honest you. I, I think... You, I don't know if I expect both Jawan Johnson and Jacob Breland to be selected. I don't know if I think all three offensive linemen are going to be selected. Uh, I think Jake Hansen's probably the one that uh, might not get taken of those three. I think Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton have a pretty good chances based on what I've seen. Um, so it, maybe it's unlikely, but if they somehow it does come together, and maybe it will, maybe that they're just going to be the, it's going to be the right a uh, balance of of kind of luck and good fortune where a team needs a center and hey there's Jake Hansen he's the best available A team needs a tight end Jacob is the best available maybe it all comes together but if they get to 7 that becomes a new school record for most NFL selections and that's a pretty special thing um given how how good of draft classes they've had in the past I know uh you run through some of these but like in 2002 I, I was just putting this together Earlier, uh, these are the players that had selected in 2002 and had six. Joey Harrington, Maurice Morris, Rashad Bowman, Justin Peel, Wesley Mallard, and Steve Smith. Those are like six really, really highly regarded former Oregon football players. Um, you know, and you just kind of, obviously, players that had a lot of success in kind of reshaping this program. If they can surpass a class like that, that would be really significant, I think, in terms of just pointing to, hey, this wasn't a huge senior class either, but look at what we were able to do this year, look at what we are able to accomplish and kind of set a new high-water mark for NFL selections um, with seven. Again, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but if it does, it would be a new school record.
1: There's also, I, I think, a wonder of how many how many offensive linemen does Oregon get drafted uh in this draft i think everyone's kind of expecting the number to be 3 but do we maybe see a, a fourth guy you know dallas wormack probably being the one that has the most likely outcome of that but it's probably not a high probability um, radio yellow
2: maybe. maybe yeah maybe
1: i i i, I don't know I, I think there's a better chance that a jawan johnson or a jacob breland gets picked than either of those two guys but agree. who knows maybe maybe one of them gets a Made a big surprise at their pro day or at one of the all star games that they played in. Uh Warmack certainly has increased his stock a little bit because he's been playing or you know showing that he can play the center position. He did that during the pro day this past season or this past spring at Oregon. Um, and then then there's gonna be the the guys that go undrafted, and this is where it could get real interesting because of Brady Alo and Dallas Warmack and maybe we see a couple other guys end up hearing their names and get called to to be undrafted free agents of a Juwan Johnson, linebackers Bryson Young and Lamar Winston, defensive linemen like uh Gary Baker or Drayton Kralberg. Uh do we see the punter, Blake Maymo, get picked up by somebody? I I'm always once it hits the seventh round, I'm always all right, let's just speed this up because I want to see where these players choose to sign uh, as undrafted free agents instead of being selected in that in that last round.
2: I'm on board saying like I think I'm actually really expecting Maymon to sign somewhere. Um, I I thought he really was impressive over the last two years, and I'm not saying other players you mentioned that might get signed weren't, but like a punter is kind of an unusual thing. You know, Oregon hasn't had a lot of success punting. I think Josh Bidwell is probably the only punter. A of real note, Oregon has had, and he went on and had a, a, a nice NFL career, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if Maimon becomes kind of that, that next one for Oregon in terms of, and I don't know, you know, we're talking about Oregon being QBU. Could they be punter you? Um, <laughs> it seems kind of ridiculous, but, uh, I, I could see him being someone that lands and has, has a decent career as a punter, cause he's got, Good size at six foot six, two hundred and thirty pounds, and it doesn't necessarily matter with punting because you can see players with all of varieties. But he showed a really good leg strength, I thought. He, he could really boot the ball. He turned the field and flipped it for Oregon a lot, so I think that's someone to keep an eye out for. And yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of these. I think every single one of those offensive linemen you mentioned will sign with it as an undrafted free agent. I would expect if they're not drafted, um, you're going to see probably five. Former Oregon offensive linemen on NFL rosters, you know, when training camp opens, whenever that is. Um, and that's pretty special. And, and you're going to see probably at least Lamar Winston or, or Bryce Young have a good chance of at least getting a shot and, and signing some sort of deal. And maybe that isn't something that leads to long term success, but there's a potential of that. So you could see, I think, upwards of 10, maybe 11 or 12 former Oregon players either drafted or signed with NFL franchises. Uh, in the next kind of like 72 to 96 hours, because sometimes these undrafted free agents, um, sometimes they happen right after the draft and other times they take a day or two to kind of get sorted out. But, um, yeah, I think it's really exciting to see where Bray lands. Um, and especially during this current climate where there's not much else to talk about. But like, I think seeing where all of these players end up and kind of fig- figuring out what their pro futures can be given kind of the scarcity of sports right now probably become something that it even kind of turns the eyes a little bit more than it normally would. And I'm certainly going to be someone who's following pretty closely to see where some of these players end up signing.
1: What do you feel like the the impact this draft class as a whole could have from the, an Oregon football perspective? Does it open the eyes more to NFL teams coming out west to, to scout the Ducks? Does it open more recruiting pipelines? What do you feel like the, the potential for this draft class has for, for a recruiting perspective? Yeah,
2: I don't know about NFL scouts coming out in, in larger numbers because when we've been at practice, I think we've already – think i I'm going to guess, and without having looked at exactly the numbers, we probably saw every franchise represented yeah. at least once, once or twice. So I think that part is – they've already done a pretty good job of, of building those relationships, and Oregon's already a brand um, in, in that way. But I think from, yeah, from a recruiting perspective, like I said earlier, like – I I have to look at the numbers I don't have off the top of my head, but Oregon didn't have that many seniors outgoing this class. And you could have a deal where maybe you have like 80% of your senior class drafted or signed somewhere. Like, that's pretty awesome. You know, like let's say 12 players end up drafted or or signed. And, again, I don't have the the entirety of what that senior class was, but it wasn't more than about 19 or so guys. Like if you had 12 out of, let's say it's 19 guys taken or signed with somebody, like that's pretty special, right? I mean, that's something you can certainly point to of like, we put guys in the pros, and it, it, you know, it's it's not just our star players, but it's guys that um, that have to work for it, but end up on you know NFL franchises. And we put more guys into the pros from this last rap, this last senior class, than guys that didn't make it. And that was a class which, I don't, you know, let's be honest about it, they didn't recruit at the same level as what they're recruiting at now. And if you talk about being able to go out on the trail and say, hey, look at the success rate we had in the past with a little lesser recruit. Imagine what we can do with you and some more four and high five star guys or, you know, some more some more of these top 150 recruits. Imagine what we can turn you guys into. And I, I think that has to be something you sell it on, because like I said, this is not a huge senior class. And yet you could see upwards of 10, maybe 11 or 12 um, of these guys end up on NFL franchises. And, and some of them probably aren't going to stick. But that in and of itself, I think, talks about kind of what they're developing and the program that they're developing.
1: I think one thing for me that really stands out is go back to that 2016 recruiting class that was 27th in the country. And you have Justin Herbert who went sixth overall. You've got Troy Die who was another three-star player that's going to hear his name called somewhere in this draft. You also have – uh, a guy like Dylan Mitchell, who got drafted from this group, Lamar Winston, and Bryson Young will certainly have their opportunities as players that will be, um, undrafted free agents more, most likely. But you've also got, you know, a, a guy like Brady Brees, who could turn mm-hmm. into, uh, a player that maybe next season gets his name discussed as an NFL prospect. Cameron Cormack certainly has that potential as well if, if he's healthy. And then go back to the 2015 class that was 16th in the country, and you know there were a lot of four-star players on this on this team. There was a five-star even. Canton Kamatule was a five-star. Tosh Griffin was a four-star. Travis Johnson was almost the top 100 recruit. Uh, Malik Levitt and Kirk Merritt were, were two high-profile running backs. And you look at this group, and Shane Lemieux is a three-star prospect. Calvin Throckmorton is a three-star prospect. Jacob Breland was a three-star prospect, and Jake Hansen was a three-star prospect. And all of those guys more than likely are going to hear their names called uh, as NFL draft picks, uh, the, the, the offensive linemen. And I think that goes to speak of the development that Crystal Ball and his coaching staff have under their belts because Throckmorton, Lemieux, Hansen, you know, none of these guys were viewed as surefire Pac-12 starters, you know, year two and 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 surefire NFL prospects. Breland the same way, and I think I think Oregon's coaching staff, if they can get these guys drafted, uh, that's going to be a huge tip in their cap when they go out on the recruiting trail. Of not only because right now, look, look, like what is the negative recruiting that we're hearing on Oregon? Right, it's they're just a bunch of recruiters. Like this class. This draft class could really change that narrative.
2: Uh, and that's what I was getting at too. And you're right about the caliber of recruit and, and this, this staff, you're right, has, has been kind of deemed recruiters by others, by other staffs, by other programs. And if their their ability to, I don't think that's fair though, really. I mean, if you just look at what the players that are going to be drafted and you just ran through a lot of it, most of those guys weren't players that were surefire Top recruits that were going to be obvious selections that are you know obvious high NFL selections. Like this is not a class of Kayvon Thibodeaux, and that's why I think you have to be so excited if you're Oregon. You can use that on the recruiting trail of like, yeah, look what we did with some guys that weren't as highly regarded. Imagine what happens when players that have a little bit higher ceilings come in here. What we can mold you into? Um, that has to be something you take away from this class. And again, I don't think it is fair. And you ran through a lot of the numbers there to say that Oregon staff is all recruiters. I think they've done a great job. Exactly. Over the course of three years of developing guys, I mean, I think that's that's the thing that's almost stood out more. Uh, obviously, the recruiting stuff it gets a lot of attention, but like, like, just think about guys like Brady Breeze, who obviously highly regarded recruits coming out, but like, we're kind of in no man's land, and look where he's at. Look at what happened with like a Gus Cumberland or a Drayton Carberg or Bryson Young, guys that were decent recruits out of high school that didn't really like kind of floundered under the previous staff, and then under this current staff, really were able to find themselves, and now those guys at least have a chance to play professionally. Um, This this staff has done a good job in that regard, especially, I think, um, in some of those defensive positions and obviously on the offensive line. I think those areas have been very, very clear that they've done a great job of developing talent. There's no way to argue against that, I don't think.
1: Okay, now let's wrap this up by looking ahead long-term. And there's going to be a lot of speculation here. But I I wrote on the site, on on duckterritory.com, but I, I really think that... The Oregon football program is positioned now for a string of three years at least where we could see one of their players be selected not only in the first round, but probably in the top ten of the next two NFL drafts. Herbert went sixth and this year he starts the, the run. But I I think I think Pinet Sewell would have been one of the first guys off the board if he was draft eligible this season. Um, I know Jeff Schwartz, uh, he does a lot of NFL draft analysis for various media outlets out there, and he is a former Duck, so you have to take that into consideration. But leading up to this draft, he was asked a question, where would Pinay Sewell be in this draft if he was eligible? And at least to Schwartz's mind, he would have been the second player picked a- ahead of Justin Herbert. And I don't necessarily have much ammunition to go against that. No, um, uh, you know, that opinion. So I, I think when Sewell, I don't want to speak for him, but I, Eric, you and I both, right? We're both expecting that he goes pro next season.
2: Yes. And I was just going to interject and say DraftKings, I just saw this. Uh, they just did a projections of the top 2021 picks and Sewell has the highest odds of going number one overall in 2021. So that kind of backs up what we're wow. talking about right now um, in terms of his pro perspectives. Um, but yes, I think, and if that's where he's projected to go, and it's, he's the number one pick supposedly in 2021, I don't see how he doesn't go. I mean, I think that would be almost fool, foolish for him to return. Obviously he has a brother who'd be on the roster, but boy, if he's going to be the number one overall pick, yeah, he's gone. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I did not know that that came out already. Um, that's pretty damn impressive to be honest with you of just how high his stock has soared. But look, that goes with what we've, we seen from a lot of other people, um, out there. Uh, Pene Soul, he's, he has, uh, certainly caught the, the attention of a lot of NFL people out there. And I don't think he's gonna be the next, he's gonna be the last one either. Because Kayvon Thibodeau, yep. he, I mean, Matt Miller of Bleacher Report, another NFL, you know, another very, uh, well read and popular mock NFL draft, Analysis, you know, expert. Uh, he during December shot out a tweet that said, "Building NFL Big Board 2022," and had Kayvon Thibodeau as number one, meaning he's Kavon Thibodeau is his number one prospect uh, for the 2022 NFL Draft. And remember, Thibodeau has two more years that he has to play for college football. I mean, he could sit out, but that really wouldn't do much for him right now. He wouldn't um, do that. Uh, Yeah, I don't think he would do that either. Uh, But that's how much stock is already building for Thibodeau. And so do you buy the fact that if I told you today, Oregon would have three top 10 draft picks in the next three years, are you taking that bet?
2: Are we including Justin Herbert in the three years? Yes. yes, 100%. I'm already bought. I've sold, you sold me on it. I'm, I, it, like, I, I think that's, i I'm honestly, like, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm not even, like, I might even take it a step further. It's not impossible that we're going to have back-to-back number one overall picks. You know, and I, that's, that's a, that's a hotter take because you're looking at obviously a ton going on between 2021 draft and now and 2022 draft. These are years ahead, but Penny Sewell is going to have a chance to go number one overall in 2021. Kayvon Tubbo is going to have the same, you know, chance to do the same thing in 2022. Um, I'm 100% sold on that. They're definitely, I think, on uh, the barring something strange happening here, um, I think that's what we're going to end up seeing. And what an exciting time. You know, I've been running through the history of Oregon, uh, you know, this week with draft, you know, just in the draft, you know, high, you know, looking at the first round picks they've had, quarterbacks that they've had selected, you know, the, the most impressive draft classes. If Oregon goes out and has Herbert go six this year, and let's just say Sewell and Tipodog each go top three in the next two classes, that would undoubtedly be the most impressive run of draft success that has ever had. Um, you, know, you can look at the, they had one of the year where they had Mariota, I think in 2014, he went second overall. And then uh, Eric Armstead went 17th the next year. DeForest Buckner went seventh overall. Those are the type of, that, that's kind of been the previous most impressive. If they were to have three straight years with top five picks or top six picks, I guess with Herbert, um, I'm buying it and it would be a, another just kind of programs, you know, establishing and setting milestone if that comes together, which really I think it's going to come together. I, I do. Something drastic is going to have to change for Penny Sewell and Cabo and Thibodeau not to be really, really highly drafted players in the next two years. They were thought that way as high school recruits, and they've only shown that they're, they've lived up to that billing um, as college players at Oregon.
1: Now, here's another question. Does Oregon have any other first-round potential players on their roster as of today And let's count true freshmen okay. The guys that are in the 2020 recruiting class Do you feel like anyone On this roster Is safe to project as A, a first round player
2: uh, you I think you have to Probably be making some a little bit of knee jerks, a little bit of overreactions, because a lot of the guys I'd be looking at haven't played a lot at Oregon. Like, I'm just running through the roster. Like, I think Devin Williams, he's never played at Oregon. I think he could be a first-round talent. I could see that happening. Um CJ Verdell probably not, but maybe that comes together. I could see Micah Pittman becoming a early pick, probably not a first-rounder. Offensive line's kind of hard, because we haven't seen a lot of these guys play, but I know Steven Jones and Malasala have the size, and... You don't really want to count and, you know, bet against Mario Cristobal's track record. Obviously on defense, the two, uh, the first names you probably come to mind are, are Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. Those are two five star recruits that are very talented. Mace Funa is another guy who could maybe fit into that. And then in the defensive backfield, uh, Javon Holland, maybe he is one of those guys that has a bet. I, I don't know what his stock is, but I would think Javon Holland is somebody that could be a first-round draft pick next year if he goes early with Penny Sewell. I, I could definitely see him developing into that type of player. I don't think Graham or Lenore have that ceiling, but I think Mikael Wright could.
1: Yeah, um, that's so. what, that was going to be the guy that that first popped in, into my head that I feel like could be NFL first-round material, and that's Mikael Wright. And then if not Mikael Wright, Javon Holland.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm running through here thinking, like, Oregon Oregon might have five, six other players, if we're not including Thibodeau and Sewell in this discussion, that could be first-round players. And Again, that's a lot of coulds, because most of these players haven't really played a lot at Oregon, Holland being kind of the rare one that I mentioned that has. But um, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism about the future of Oregon with NFL drafts being kind of unprecedented. I already ran through, I think, at the top of the draft. I think you're going to continue to see – we talked about earlier on the show about how they could have seven players drafted this year. I think we're going to see this be kind of the norm, not seven necessarily, but every year there's four to five to six players that are drafted or or could be drafted, and it's going to be, I think, a thing where you're just going to continue to see Oregon make history and carve out history in every single
1: draft. Now, we do have a couple – I want to just real quick before we wrap this up. Justin Flo and Noah Sewell – both those guys have first-round projections by our 24-7 sports recruiting department. Um, Sewell is being compared to Devin White by Barton Simmons, the director of scouting uh, of 24-7 sports. And then Greg Biggins, the national recruiting analyst, he is comparing Flo to Reuben Foster with also a first-round uh, draft grade. If I told you you could pick – Flo and Sewell, or you get a combination of Michael Wright, Stephen Jones, and Javon Holland. Who are you, what group are you taking for most first round picks, or just most likely to produce a first round draft pick?
2: Oh boy, that's tough, man. Because we're—I haven't seen any of those other the first two guys at all. Um, I'm gonna say the second group just because I've seen what Javon Holland can do, and I do think he has a chance to be a first-round pick. And I've seen what Mikael Wright can do. I think he can become a first-round pick. I think Stephen Jones has a huge ceiling, enormous ceiling to be a top-tier draft pick at some point. And obviously, that's a little sight unseen is what made one career start, and we're taking a lot of the coaches' credit for this. But what you when you watch him move. He has that kind of talent in terms of he's six foot six, six foot seven. He's a huge body and he moves really, really well. So I like those three guys. I could see all three of those guys being NFL picks. I could obviously see the same thing for those two true freshmen, but um, they haven't played a single down of college football and Flo hasn't even practiced. So it's hard for me to to make that proclamation right now. But I think the other three guys, I mean, that's what's crazy about this roster is that you could probably come up with combine you know, multiple combinations. And I would say, oh, there's going to be at least one first round pick there. Um, because I think that's the depth with that kind of talent is far greater than we've seen at Oregon ever. Uh, certainly, while I've been covering this, and, and certainly based upon what I've my research, I think that backs it up from a historical perspective as well.
1: It speaks volumes to how far uh, this program has come from a recruiting perspective, and then secondly, a development perspective uh, over the last two or, th- or three seasons. Because there was talent on this team when Cristobal. Showed up as the offensive coordinator with Marcus Arroyo under Willie Taggart in 2017, but to say that that this team has always had this talent is also not true. Um, I think Chris Ball and his his coaching staff have done a really good job of developing it, and uh, more importantly, acquiring as much talent as possible, and then developing that into what we've seen today, to where we're discussing this this scenario where Oregon could have. You know, two to four or five more first-round draft picks uh, still on their roster. You know, over the next three to, to four NFL drafts is is pretty remarkable. Um, for let's wrap this up for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast.
2: Adiós, amigos.